0: And greetings, brethren, around the world. I'm very grateful to be able to speak to you in this day from our studio right here in Charlotte, North Carolina. I'm sure by this time we've all had a great feast. And I know I will have had a great feast with my family, and I hope many of you have had as well. This last great day and the meaning of this day was explained this morning. We've asked our ministers around the world to explain the meaning of this day so I can then give a final message and not just cover that same thing every year as I used to do year after year as you older brethren remember. But this day pictures, frankly, brethren, one of the most awesome and powerful truths that can possibly be imagined. A time when literally billions of human beings will come up out of this earth and be given a chance. The great white throne judgment to be given a chance to know God, to know why they were born, and to have the opportunity for eternal life. Not a second chance. A lot of new people sometimes grab onto that idea, and I'm sure that was explained. It is not a second chance. It is a first genuine opportunity to understand the truth and to really know God. Not just to know about God, but to begin to know God and receive the truth, as God tells us in the Bible about those who have received the truth. Many of you knew various things before you were converted, but you didn't really know God, and you did not fully receive the truth. When Christ comes, people are going to begin to receive the truth. And then in this great white throne judgment with Him again, here on this earth, with all of us teaching people for a hundred-year period, perhaps, they're going to understand and be given a tremendous opportunity to really know God, our loved ones, our relatives, people all over the world who were blinded. They'll be given a genuine chance, and that is magnificent. God is fair, eminently fair, and He's going to give them a real chance to know Him and the purpose of life. But brethren, now as we prepare to go home to our various places, we must keep the meaning and the inspiration of this feast in mind It's so easy to get sidetracked very quickly because we're going back to our worldly jobs, most of us. We're going back to worldly relatives, worldly neighbors, people around us, the whole world. If we go back and start watching a lot of worldly TV or playing these these, uh, computer games and get into crazy stuff that distracts our minds from reality and from the purpose of God, it could get us right back again in the old rut. And we must not let that happen. We must not let that happen, brethren. So I hope all of us can fully realize how close we are to the end of this age as these things speed up as we begin to have food shortages, water shortages, and we're going to begin to have riots and civil unrest in this country and in many of our Western nations as God brings down the British descended and American peoples leading finally into the great tribulation, which God talks about over and over in the Bible. We're close, my friends, into an entire different dimension of existence. A spirit world is behind this world, and that spirit world is beginning to intervene. The wrong side, the dark side of the spirit world is going to intervene, and a final great false prophet will appear within the next several years, probably. A beast, a coming dictator in Europe will appear, probably, in the next several years of your life. A king of the south will appear, probably down in Egypt not east of Jerusalem, but south of Jerusalem. And he's going to rise up and provoke this coming European dictator. Those things are getting underway even now as we speak. Many of those things, as you know, a spirit world is beginning to intervene. And a spirit world is intervening to bring down the United States with all these things happening to us, to humble us, to break the pride of our power and ruin this great nation. Brethren, we need to understand for this coming kingdom of God and the intervention of the dark side and the intervention of the wonderful bright side of the spirit world. Turn with me back to the book of Revelation now, the book of Revelation chapter 11. And I want to begin reading in verse 1 of Revelation chapter 11. John writes, then I was given a reed like a measuring rod, and the angel stood, saying, Rise and measure the temple of God, the altar, leave outside the outside court, outside the temple, and do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles, and they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. This is going to happen soon. Powers that are unseen are going to guide this, where the holy city, which many of you have visited it, as I have, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Will be trodden underfoot by the Gentiles for how long? Forty-two months added up, three and one half years. And then he says, I will give power to my two witnesses, two human beings, probably two men much younger than me, and they will be raised up by God Almighty. God has a way of intervening and bringing men forward, and we have many very dedicated younger men in this church and elsewhere who may be called by God. Two of them would be the two witnesses. And they will prophesy 1,260 days, clothed in sackcloth. They're going to prophesy again that same period of time, added up 1,260 days. And God's calendar, uh, they had uh, uh, days were reckoned as 30-day months. This would be again three and one-half years, the same period of time. And I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days. There it is again, 1,260. Three and one-half years, he keeps repeating, keeps repeating. You need to think about this. A spirit world is going to begin to intervene. And for three and one-half years, all these things are going to happen within the lifetimes of many of you. Some of you young people say, well, these things never happen. Well, boy, these things are going to happen in your lifetime if you keep on living and are protected by God from the coming great tribulation. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. These two witnesses are described in that way, as you know, back in the book of Zechariah. And if anyone wants to harm them, these two men, because they're men, given supernatural power, fire proceeds from their mouth that devours their enemies. And if anyone wants to be, to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. These have power to shut the heavens so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy and they have power over waters to strike them or turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. When you read back in Exodus, the book of Exodus chapter 7, 8 and 9, you begin to realize these are some of the same plagues that Moses and Aaron had the privilege of carrying out to humble ancient Egypt. Two witnesses at the end are going to be given very similar powers. You read the book of Elijah and how Elijah brought down fire from heaven. These men are like Moses and Elijah, the great God at the end of the age, the great spirit who's in charge of everything, the right side of the spirit world is going to intervene soon, believe me. Now, when they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, again, overcome them and kill them. This coming power in Europe, led by a man who is also called the beast, the final dictator. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city spiritually called Sodom and Egypt, where Christ was crucified. Their dead bodies will lie. People think, wow, these men couldn't, you know, they couldn't really be of God. They're killed. But yes, they were of God. And their dead bodies will lie there, look awful for a while, but the people will rejoice. The pagans, they will they will be happy, and they'll have a big party because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. These men told them, you're guilty, you're breaking God's commandments, you're destroying God's church, you're attacking God's people. Wake up, but they won't want to wake up. They're under the influence of Satan the devil. Now, after the three and a half days, of course, they're just three and a half days, they're dead, The breath of life entered them, they came on their feet, and God brought them up supernaturally, up into the heavens. Not necessarily God's throne, although it could be, but they're brought up into the heavens like Elijah was. And then, of course, they are uh, no doubt brought right back down with the saints a few days later, uh, or a few years later, I should say, when Christ returns again. In the same hour, there was a great earthquake, and a tenth part of the city fell, and the earthquake, 7,000 men were killed. And the second war is passed. The third war is coming quickly. Then the seventh angel sounded. And by the way, back there, talk about these men. When they're resurrected, it will be near the end, of course, of the tribulation. So it will just be a matter of days or weeks till they come back. Anyway, then at the end of this time, the seventh angel sounded. And there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world, not up in heaven... Our job is on this earth in a few years. This is where the problems are. This is why we need to be kings and priests over the cities on this earth. And here returns the king of kings, king over all the other kings. And the last trumpet sounds and the voices say, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. Wow. Thank God as it says near the end of the book of Revelation, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. We want to have that attitude and realize the spirit world is beginning to intervene and it is going to intervene at that time powerfully. So, brethren, where where will you be when the seventh angel sounds? Please think about that even now as we go back to our homes. Are you going to sort of fall away or get all weak and worldly? Where will you be? Will you be in a place of safety where God is protecting his people? Or will you have fallen away and be in the great tribulation or perhaps already be dead? And of course, some of God's people may die as martyrs before the tribulation and during the tribulation. We know that too. But the vast majority can be taken to a place of safety if we give our lives to God and walk with God and walk with Christ. And that's where we want to be. So we need to think, where will we be when that last trumpet sounds? Now, brethren, turn to chapter 12 of Revelation and a very familiar passage. The first few verses describe the woman clothed in the sun, ancient Israel bringing forth the man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, Jesus Christ. And then verse 6, it begins to describe the church during the Dark Ages, rightly named Dark Ages. Then the woman fled into the wilderness. Now the woman becomes not the Israel of old, but the church of God, the spiritual Israel. The church fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. This could be three and a half years, but everything in the Bible indicates this is a period of 1,260 days each day for a year. 1,260 years. And as we've explained many, many times, those days probably began those years in 554 when Justinian revived the Holy Roman Empire, which became then called soon the Holy Roman Empire. 554, count forward, comes out to 1814 when Napoleon fell. And then the Holy Roman Empire was over and the persecution ceased. It was already easing up. But it virtually ended then with the time of Napoleon's Waterloo in 1814. So we want to understand this is a 1260 year period during the dark ages when God's people had to flee the bounds of the Roman Empire and hide out in the Swiss Alps and northern Italian Alps and elsewhere for 1260 years. Then he skips forward a few hundred more years. Verse 7 And war broke out in heaven. Here is a spirit war. We've seen the movie, The Star Wars, most of us, at one time or the other. Here comes a spirit war, a real spirit war, young people. This is going to happen in your lifetime, most of you. A war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought. Michael was the great super archangel, the cherub, who was loyal to God. God created three powerful super archangels called cherubs, Michael, Gabriel, and Lucifer, And Lucifer rebelled against God and took about one-third of the angels with him. Boy, he's powerful. He took virtually all of his angels. He has a powerful influence for those who yield to him. As you go back home, realize that. You will be in a spiritual war in that sense, surrounded by the world, Satan's world, which is going to grow increasingly worse as we go along. War breaks out. Michael and his angels fought against the devil, And the dragon, Swat, and his angels, but they did not prevail. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called, here God explains, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. God says, the Word of God, Satan deceives the whole world. All these people around you and me, many of them are good people, they mean well. You have good Baptists and Methodists and Presbyterians and others. They mean well. Good Catholics. Many of them are nice people, nice neighbors. They mean well. But they are deceived. They do not understand. And this Satan's going to work on them and get them unless God calls some of them yet in this age through what we do in this work. God works through human instruments. So he's deceived the whole world. And he was cast to the earth and his angels with him. A powerful thing is going to happen. And once he gets down here, brethren, during the last few months, I don't think it's going to be a few years, but just the last few months before the full-scale tribulation begins, things are going to get absolutely awful in our society. There are going to be wild men running around, killing, robbing, raping, beating up on people, insane people under the influence of demons. And the demons will begin to directly influence and even sometimes possess some of the rulers here over in this beast power that's rising up. Then I heard a loud voice, Now a salvation strength in the kingdom of our God. See, Christ comes quickly after that time, and the power of his Christ are come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. Satan is the accuser. He's going to accuse us to the world and they will accuse Mr. Ames and me and all our leading ministers of being false prophets and they'll try to bring up things where Mr. Armstrong was wrong and he was wrong on setting certain dates. Just as the Apostle Paul said, you know, beware or be ready for Christ coming in your lifetime. We will ascend, he said. He thought Christ would come then. Mr. Armstrong hoped Christ would come sooner But the basic outlines of prophecy he gave, as I've told you so many times, have happened or are happening now. It's amazing how much he understood. But he did make human mistakes at times, just like the Apostle Paul. But they're going to accuse us of all kinds of things. You know that. They'll accuse you, some of your neighbors and co-workers, the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. At that time, that will have occurred. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. And brethren, one thing we need to really think about as we approach the end of the age, we in this church talk a lot about prophecy, and we should, because we're at the end of the age just before those big things happen. But all through the book of Acts, go back and read it. The early Christians were 2,000 years away from that, but they were the original true Christians, and they talked over and over about Jesus Christ and how God resurrected him from the dead. And we had to be under the blood of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And we've got to talk about that more. And you need to think about that more. Christ is your Savior. We're the church of the forgiven. As I preached a whole sermon on, God has had to forgive us. So we're saved in more ways than one by the blood of the Lamb. We can be forgiven our sins through the blood of Jesus Christ who gave himself for us. Let's never, ever forget that. Let's know that we are Christians. We are followers of Christ. We are Christians. Christ must live his life within us. If people ask, who are you? You are Christians. And you are then ambassadors for Jesus Christ to help prepare for his kingdom. And so they overcame him, the Satan, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to death. So them actually preferred death to the torture and the torment that was beginning to occur. Therefore, brethren, rejoice, O heaven, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, he says, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath. He is really going to attack the United States. He's going to attack God's church. He will attack many of us individually, as God allows, because he knows that he has a short time for the time this final war takes place. This war has not yet taken place, by the way. One false prophet said this war in heaven has taken place. That has not taken place. These terrible things are not happening now at all. But they're going to take place the last year or two before Christ comes. Now, when the dragon saw that he was cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman. Again, the true church of God, at the very end, persecuted terribly, who gave birth to the man-child, but now as the church... But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness into her place, not be wafted off to heaven and others left behind, as Tim LaHaye falsely said, but a place on this earth, obviously as you read the whole chapter, into her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time. Again, three and one half years, over and over in this chapter, three and one half years repeated about four times from the presence of the serpent. So God will protect His people, those who are really walking with Him, have Christ living His life within them. You and I must think we are Christians. We are forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ, and we thank God for that, should thank for God for that every day, and know that we are Christians bought and paid for by Jesus Christ, and we are ambassadors of the coming kingdom. The reality of God's kingdom, His coming government, must be in our minds more and more as each year goes by and as these things take place, which are beginning to take place, of course, right now. So for three and one-half years we will be in what Mr. Waterhouse called the place of final training, and I'm sure he had something there. We are no doubt not going to sit around and do nothing Jesus said, I work and my Father works. We will learn now to be having Bible studies. We'll be praying, meditating. And as we hear, and even our area is shaken at times by the edge of these great earthquakes taking place all over the earth, we realize He is coming. He is coming soon. And we'll get excited. And we'll know we've got to get ready to be kings and priests in a spirit government set up over this earth under Jesus as king of kings. So let's understand that. We really need to prepare to be spirit beings, to be those kings and priests in a spirit kingdom that will finally bring real peace and prosperity and joy to a very confused and very suffering, suffering by that time, a suffering world. Turn back to Daniel 9 now, brethren, in your Old Testament. Here is one of the prophets quoted uh, more than most others in the New Testament, of course, as a prophet of God. Jesus Christ referred to Daniel as a prophet of God uh, a number of times, and all of us must understand that. Daniel was inspired of God Almighty. So he says here in Daniel 9 that in the first year of Darius, Daniel understood by books about the 70 years of desolation coming on Jerusalem. And he says in verse 3, Daniel 9, verse 3, Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make requests by prayer, supplications, and fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. Prayer, as we understand supplications, means repeated, repeated, continued, heartfelt prayer. And fasting, no food, no water, crying out to God during a time of fasting and seeking God. I set my face to make requests. He began to seek God And I prayed to the Eternal, my God, and made confession and said, O Eternal, great and awesome God, who keeps His covenant and mercy with those who love Him and with those who keep His commandments. Yes, if we keep God's commandments, we must do that. We have sinned. And he begins to confess how they had sinned. He didn't say they have sinned. Daniel included himself. We have sinned. Neither have we heeded your servants, the prophets, And he began to repent and cry out to God with all his heart and seek God at that point, with all his heart. Then in verse 20, verse 20, Now while I was speaking, praying, and confessing my sin and the sin of my people, Israel, and presenting my supplications, repeated prayers, and crying out, before the eternal, my God, for the holy mountain of my God. Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, again the third great cherub, Michael, Gabriel, and Lucifer, Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, reached me about the time of the evening offering, about three o'clock in the afternoon. And he informed me and talked with me and said, Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand all at the beginning of your supplications. Get this, sometimes God hears right when we pray, but the answer doesn't come for weeks or months later, sometimes years later. God has heard. God is powerful. At the beginning of your supplications, the commandment went out way back then. And I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Daniel was greatly beloved because he was crying out to God, seeking God. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. So God gave Daniel this magnificent vision we call the 70 weeks prophecy, bringing it right up to the first coming of Jesus Christ and what was to happen and some even indication later about a coming uh, king and what was going to happen with the treaty and then what was to happen at the very end of that as we've explained. Notice now in Daniel 10, Daniel 10, beginning in verse 1, we find this kind of thing again. In the third year of Cyrus, another king now, the message was true. Uh, Something was revealed to Daniel. The message was true, but the appointed time was long, and he understood the message and had understanding of the vision. In those days, Daniel, I was mourning three full weeks. So again, he must have been praying perhaps fasting part of that time, he ate no pleasant food, seeking God, seeking God for three whole weeks. And then it says in verse 10, suddenly a hand touched me, made me tremble on my knees and, and, and palms of my hands. And he said, this powerful spirit being this angel, O Daniel, man, greatly beloved. Now he's told a second time he's beloved of God. What a wonderful thing. Understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. And he trembled. Then he said, Oh, do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your hand to understand. So again, when Daniel first began to pray and to humble yourself before the eternal your God, your words were heard. God began to hear right away. Your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. But God delays sometimes or allows a delay to test us and to guide circumstances to bring about the right result. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia, who are the various princes of this world, the ones behind the scenes are demons, and God reveals that continually. Often demon spirits behind the pagan kingdoms of this world. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me twenty-one days. Some human prince could not withstand him. Of course, here was a spirit being—a spirit war once again. My friends and you, young people, please understand that you, Satan has kind of uh, duplicated, counterfeited a lot of this stuff in movies like Star Wars and Star Trek and this and that and something else. He's trying to make it all seem like just all a big, all a big show, all a big unreality. No, it is very real. A lot of young people will be more disoriented than even older people because they've seen things that sort of seem like that in the movies and television shows. But this stuff is going to be real. A spirit world exists out there. A spirit world is beginning to intervene now when you understand to bring these things about and powerfully intervening as you get toward the very end. And so this spirit being blocked off the righteous angel. And he withstood me three weeks, 21 days. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes. Again, Michael is the prince, is the cherub to protect and watch over the peoples of Israel. Gabriel was a special messenger to bring messages. And Lucifer had been one appointed to be right at God's throne. But he turned aside and took one-third of the angels with him. So just Michael and Gabriel are left of that great triumvirate. Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. And so uh, Michael was sent to help him. And now I've come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days, our day. For the vision refers for the time to come. Then later, verse 18, uh, 1, having the likeness of a man touched uh, Daniel, strengthened him. He said, O man greatly beloved, Three times he gave that blessing, a man greatly beloved. Fear not, peace be to you, be strong. Yes, we've got to be strong, my brethren. A lot of you young men, you want to get physical strength, and that's great. Nothing wrong with that. Be strong spiritually. We have to be strong during this coming spirit war. Be strong. So when he spoke to me, I was strengthened. and he said, let my Lord speak for you to strengthen me. And this angel said, Do you not know why I have come to you? And now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia. Another spirit war. And when I have gone forth indeed, the prince of Greece will come. Another fallen angel would be there to fight, apparently, uh, Michael. But I will tell you what is noted in the scripture of truth. No one upholds me against these, these other demons, except Michael, your prince. So, this particular angel was backed, I guess, in this case by Michael, and said, Michael, your prince is with me in this. A spirit war, many spirit wars are going to begin to occur because we're entering a spirit-led situation, brethren. The powers of of hell, so to speak, the powers of darkness are going to rise up more than God has allowed them to for 6,000 years, but then the powers of light the powers of righteousness, God's kingdom, God's power is going to intervene and crush the powers of Satan. We have to understand we're entering a very, very meaningful time. Turn now back to Second Chronicles, if you would, Second Chronicles 17. How are we going to make it through this time? As you go back to your home and surrounded by your worldly friends and neighbors and workmates and all that. Don't get back to watching a lot of TV or playing a lot of computer games or listening to wild screeching music that's screaming and yelling stupidities. Don't do that. Think about the coming kingdom of God and get ready for it. Get ready for it. Walk with God and give your life to Christ. Every one of you, brethren, you need to, you've got to. You will not make it any other way. Please do your part. Turn back to Second Chronicles now, chapter 17, Here is one of the greatest kings of Judah described here. King Jehoshaphat, the son of Asa. Then Jehoshaphat, Asa's son, reigned in his place and strengthened himself. Yes, we all need to strengthen ourselves by seeking God. And he placed troops in the fortified cities of Judah. And now when he was now the Lord, the Eternal, was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the former ways of his father David. See, he walked even more with God than Asa did. He walked as David walked. David is always used as the benchmark, because in a remarkable way, if you read David's Psalms, he sought God with all his heart. David over and over poured out his being, my king, my God, my rock, my redeemer, my high tower. Be with me, deliver me, help me, lead me, fashion and mold me, make me like you are. David prayed and cried out to God over and over and over, hundreds of times, this kind of prayer. So this man walked in the former ways of David, and he did not seek the bales. Many of us seek the bales unwittingly because we listen to this foul music and so-called rap, which is screaming and yelling and not real music. And we have these TV images coming into our mind about things being blown up and people being killed and beaten up and mugged and raped and brutalized. We're not to be watching that stuff. That doesn't need to fill our minds. But this man, Jehoshaphat, sought. Do you seek God? He sought the God of his father and walked in his commandments and not according to the acts of Israel. He was not following the acts of the other kingdom. The ten tribes had gone off into paganism even sooner. Therefore, the Eternal established the kingdom in his hand And all Judah gave presents to Jehoshaphat, and he had riches and honor in abundance. God blessed him for that. And his heart took delight in the ways of the eternal. Moreover, he removed the high places and wooden images from Judah. So God blessed him in every way. Why? Because he sought God. He sought the God of his fathers. Do you seek God? Think about it, my brethren. You and I need to seek God how do you seek God? You seek God, as most of you know, those basic things we've said, but it's, it's not simple. It's something you've got to set your mind to do and make yourself do it, asking God's help to help you discipline yourself, use your time, use your energy to study. Don't just carelessly read a psalm or two and get sentimental. My old Methodist grandmother was a wonderful woman, but she used to do that. She just knew a little bit here and a little bit there of sentimental stuff. That's what most Protestants do. That's all they know. They know of the Lord's Prayer and the 23rd Psalm and the golden verses they call it, God so loved the world, and a few other verses, and that's about it. They don't understand the whole purpose of God that we understand by keeping these holy days, picturing the whole plan of God. They don't get it. You've got to really read this book and read it carefully. I remember talking to some young missionaries from some of these other groups in the past like the Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses and others who go around beating on doors that I sometimes, maybe I shouldn't have, but as a younger uh, man, I like to invite the men in and talk to them and you get them off their little tiny thin string of scriptures they knew and you get them off of that and then they're lost, <laughs> you know. They don't know. They don't understand. That's all they know because they don't really read and study the Bible. Every one of you, my brethren, need to read and study and go through the Tomorrow's World Bible Study course. Twenty-four lessons written by one of the finest men in modern times, John O'Gwen, wrote that course. Go through that course. Study it. Drink in of it understand the Word of God and then study the Bible. Just go through whole books of the Bible marking maybe two or three chapters of Matthew and then the next day quickly skim over your highlights then read two or three chapters more then keep on that way, that way over till you've read all the way through Matthew and eventually all the Gospels but maybe go other places first. Go to the book of Acts see how God guided the New Testament church and what they did and how they continued to keep God's Sabbath, God's holy days and how God was with them, delivered them over and over again, yet through trials and tests. Some of them were killed. Stephen was killed. The first uh, apostle who was killed was James who had his head chopped off. God tested them and tried them along the way, but God was there. God was there and God will be here with you and with us now in the same way. So how do you seek God? By feeding on Christ, by drinking into this Word, by meditation. I want to put that next because you need to read and then you need to go over and mark and think about what you've read and think, this means me, this means now, this is real. And then you need to just sit down occasionally and think, how far have I come in my life? What has my life accomplished so far Why has God allowed this trial or that trial to come on me? What lesson should I learn from this? How can I be closer to Jesus Christ? How can I be more filled with God's Spirit? How can I honor God more? Meditate and then pray. Pray with all your heart. Cry out to God fervently with prayer and supplication, repeated prayers. Father, help me, strengthen me, guide me. Help me to really give my life to you. Not play games, not just act sentimental, but truly give my life to you and know it belongs to you and you are my God and you I live and move and have my being. Talk to God, pray to God, cry out to God and then fasting where you set aside perhaps one day out of a month if you're healthy and can do it. I still try to do it at age 79 even having had a stroke. I still do it most months. Try to do it. Do it. Many of our brethren, some of you younger people may do more and that's fine. I've done more at various times in my life, but set aside time regularly. That's the point, to fast. And during that time of fasting, God doesn't bless you for just doing without food, starving yourself. You grow through the fast if during that time of fasting you study and you meditate and you pray and say, God, as I'm weakened, please help me to be stronger spiritually. Strengthen me. Bring me closer to you and help me to see and understand how weak I am and how much I need you. And guide me. Strengthen me as I, as I get weaker physically. Strengthen me spiritually. And help me and use me. Use me as your tool. Talk to God in that way as you fast. Prayer, study, meditation, and fasting. And then the fifth thing is exercise the Spirit. Use God's Spirit. Fervently think I've got to do these things. And think of yourself as a Christian. I am a Christian. Christ died for me. And I am an ambassador, an ambassador of Jesus Christ to help, to build, to serve, to help prepare for the kingdom of God so my life is worth nothing. I'm not just sitting here trying to be righteous for no purpose, but letting God use me to have an impact on others and an impact in the work of God, which all of you can do. All of you can do that as you help your brethren, you pray for them, you encourage them, you have them over, you call them, you send letters to them, you, 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 you do things for them. And you set the example for them as well. And then you also try to give to the work of God and even have part in local church activities and leading and helping and serving and give generously to God in every way you can to help bring about the kingdom of God. And God will bless you forever for that. Go all out. That's why we're called now, my brethren, so we can do this work warn our peoples, prepare for the kingdom, be those kings and priests in the kingdom of God. So let's understand that. Anyway, you've got to do that and do your part to walk with God and get close to God. That, of course, is what Jehoshaphat was doing in his own way. He didn't have the same spirit of God as we have today, but he was trying to seek God, and God blessed him physically physically because it was a physical uh, nation at that time. Now I'll turn, if you would, to Deuteronomy. Go back to the book of Deuteronomy, and I want you to turn here to Deuteronomy chapter 4. And I've studied my Bible so much, I guess i brag a little bit, but I'm a Bible teacher. It's starting to fall apart. I'm going to have to have it rebound. Anyway, in Deuteronomy 4 and verse 25 when you beget children and grandchildren and have grown old in the land and act corruptly and make a carved image in the form of anything and do evil in the sight of the eternal to provoke him to anger. Yes, where have we been? We in this nation have been given blessings in our land, the land of Israel. And now we begin to act corruptly. I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day. You'll perish. And I'll scatter you among the peoples and you'll be left few in number among the nations where I'll drive you, he said in verse 27. Now verse 28. And there in these other nations, which is going to happen to our people soon, brethren, soon. There you will serve the gods, so-called gods that have all these idols and these pagan churches in Europe, the work of men's hands, wood, stone, which neither see nor hear nor smell. But from there... From this terrible slavery and tribulation, you will seek. Yes, you will finally learn then, if you haven't learned now, to seek the eternal, your God, and you will find him. How will you find him? Notice this, my friends. Please, brethren, notice this. You will find him if, (laughs) the biggest two-letter word in the English language, if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. Whatever you do, do with your might. Go all out. Seek God with your being, and then God will bless you. Try to hold nothing back from God, brethren, and God will hold nothing back from you. Think about it. Go all out for whatever is right. When you are in distress, and when all these things come upon you, when in the latter days, here we are now in the latter days, when you turn to the Eternal, your God, and obey His voice. Yes, then God will bless you. If you seek Him, seek Him in Bible study, constant real study, meditation, thinking carefully, meditating over the Bible, the meaning of the Bible, over the problems in your life and why God has allowed them, meditating on what God wants you to do and how to do it better, and then praying and then fasting, and then exercising God's Spirit day by day as a Christian, as an ambassador of Jesus Christ. All of these things you and I, all of us, must learn to do. Now turn to First Chronicles chapter 28. First Chronicles, this time, chapter 28, brethren. Notice in First Chronicles uh, 28, I want to begin reading here in verse 8. Here is David giving final instructions near the end of his life to Solomon, his son, who was to take over. David, the great king, the shepherd of Israel, great king who was, of course, used as a benchmark of all kings, a type of Christ. He told his son, who was to take over, now therefore in the sight of all the congregation of the eternal and in the hearing of our God, he said, be careful, to seek out all the commandments of the eternal, your God. Solomon, try to find out everything God wants you to do. And I ask you, brethren, please, for your good, do that. Try to think through and pray and study and meditate and find out all the things God wants you to do, that you may possess His good land and leave an inheritance to your children forever. Same thing here, that you may have eternal life forever. As you know, my son Solomon, know the God of your father and serve him with a loyal heart. Serve God with a loyal heart, not half-heartedly, and with a willing mind for the eternal searches all hearts. Does God know what you're thinking? Yes, he does. God searches all hearts and understands all the intent of the thoughts. If, here it is again, if you seek him, seek God, in those ways I've described, if you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you uh, forsake him, he will cast you off forever. That's kind of frightening. When you, Once you're called, you're having your chance now. I'm not going to have another chance. I don't know about some of you, but I'll just tell you that if I fall away, I'm not going to have another chance. I'm having my chance now. I'd better make it. And most of you adult members are the same way. This is your opportunity. You need to go all out. You can't quick sort of play a little bit of Christianity just when you come to church or part of the time or to be 100% bought and paid for by Jesus Christ all the time and give our lives to Christ as His servants and His ambassadors, as instruments He can use to help prepare for His kingdom all the time. So let's do that, brethren, that we may be in His kingdom forever. Now turn if you would to Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah uh, chapter 55 at this point, and I want to read something that's a very uh, basic scripture that we often refer to, but we've got to do it here because it's so important. Isaiah 65 verse 6. Isaiah commands, "Seek the Lord, seek the ever-living one, seek God." Go after him in a sense. You need to go all out and say, Father, I know you're there, but help me to realize that even more and help me to understand, help me to do, help me to grow, help me to change, intervene, make yourself more real to me and help me to understand and to do your will and to give my life to you. Seek the eternal while it may be found. Call upon him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake his way. Some of you are still wicked. Some of you are out there, you've been dunked, but you haven't been really converted. And some of you may realize that as you think about it. You haven't really changed very much. You better think about it now while you have the opportunity. You don't need to impress me. I don't know. God does know. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the eternal and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts... God thinks on a higher plane than we do he doesn't have selfishness and vanity and lust and greed he's made us in his image little puny ants down here crawling around on this little little tiny ball out in the darkness of space we call the earth, and we strut around and and uh, act important and sometimes feel very important. We're little tiny creatures made but made in the image of God with an awesome potential if we can just humble ourselves and seek first god's kingdom and his righteousness above everything else, above everything else, and go after it, go after it, do our part. My thoughts are not your thoughts, God says, nor are your ways my ways, says the eternal. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. I remember a time back in the 1970s, Before things broke loose in a bad way, about 1970 or 71, before we had some trials in 72, I thought, boy, we've got a great big press printing our magazines. We've got the three ambassador colleges. We've got hundreds of ministers all over the world and foreign offices. I thought, it looked like we're really getting ready to finish the work. It's powerful. God said, no, my thoughts are not your thoughts You've got a big organization, comparatively speaking. We're still tiny, tiny compared, of course, the Methodists, the Baptists, and, and the Catholic Church. But we were big by the Church of God standards. But God said, no, too many of you are not really walking with God. Too many of you are worldly. And I could start down the line, as many of you older brethren could do, and start naming the leading evangelists of that time, five or six of them, who fell away. Turned completely away from God. God knew we were not ready. And those five or six evangelists represented, of course, many other people who were also weak. They were not really, as Mr. Armstrong used to say, conquered by God. We were not ready for that final push. Then we hoped we would be sooner, but we weren't ready. Now God is working with us. Maybe soon we will be ready. But God may cause this thing to wind up in the next five or seven, eight years. That is the work. Or he may delay 7 to 17 years. We don't know. We must not set dates. God will do it when the time is right. But it looks to me like time is getting very, very short now, as most of you know. So he said, my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways higher than your ways. So he understands. He understands the end from the beginning. He knows when we're ready for these things to happen. So he says up here in verse 6, seek. Go after God. Go after him with your whole being. Seek the eternal while he may be found. If yes, the time is coming when God will sort of remove his hand and he'll tell people, "Don't," pray, as he did Jeremiah at one point, don't pray for these people anymore. They've gone too far. So you do your part while God is still there listening and he's ready to hear all of us in spite of our mistakes, which we have all made. Turn back to Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah now, verse chapter 29 and verse 10. He is describing, of course, people coming back then from the terrible captivity and, 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 and the time in Babylon as slaves. Thus says the Eternal, after 70 years are completed at Babylon when the Jews were in slavery and were conquered, I will visit you and perform my good word and you'll return to this place. I know what I think about you thoughts of peace and hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you, verse 12, and you will seek me, verse 13. There it is again. God repeats this, brethren, over and over. I can't read you all the places. It's not important. Just get a concordance. You'll find it all throughout. Over and over, God tells you and me to seek God, cry out to God, go after God with hammer and tongs, study, meditate, pray, fast. Father, help me. Guide me. Show yourself to me. Intervene. Use us. Direct us. Help us in your work. Help us overcome ourselves and the world and Satan. Cry out to God and help him and ask his help in doing these things. Then you will call upon me, he says, seek God with all your heart. And he says, you will seek me and find me. When? When do you do that? When you search for me with all your heart. So many times he said, you've got to search for me with all your heart and all your soul, all your being, not half-heartedly. I will be found by you and I will bring you back from your captivity, which he did and which he will modern Israel when they finally turn to God and come back as it describes in the 31st chapter of Jeremiah and elsewhere coming back, weeping and repenting to God finally with their whole heart after they suffered in the great tribulation. I will bring you back from your captivity and I will gather you from all the nations, from all the places where I have driven you, says the Eternal, and I will bring you to the place from which I caused you to be carried away. Yes, God will bring our people back later, but God help you that you don't have to be in that bunch that you could be in a place of safety and instead of being brought back weeping and repenting and say, oh, I wish I'd listened to the church of God when I had a chance you will have turned to God with all your heart. You've had powerful, wonderful messages, I'm sure, all through this festival for eight days. Let my words sink in your heart and mine, brethren. Please, for your sake, for your sake, I ask you to listen to me as God's servant, the presiding advantage of this church. Please learn to seek God with all your heart and walk with God and walk with Christ and day by day and hour by hour think in your heart and mind. I am a Christian. That's who I am. Above all else, I am a Christian. I'm bought and paid for by Jesus Christ and I must give myself as a living sacrifice to Christ. I'm to be an ambassador of Jesus Christ to help prepare for the kingdom, to help my brethren, to help build the church, to help build this work and prepare for the kingdom of God, and make my life count for something, then I can be in God's kingdom and family, and be a king and priest, in the very kingdom of God, the government of God, set up on this earth under Jesus Christ, the very family of God, to know God, to know Jesus' as personalities, to live with them, to interact with them, to fellowship with God, and fellowship with Christ, and with the spirits of just men, made perfect. That's why you're called now to be part of the first resurrection if you learn to seek God with all your heart and all your mind and all your being. This can come about. Please don't forget that. So, we are told to seek God and we've got to seek God in the way that I've described and try to build always a very powerful personal relationship with Jesus Christ, that Christ is living His life within us. We are Christians. We're bought and paid for by him. Now let's turn to the book of Matthew. And here is Jesus Christ saying something that I've repeated two or three times already. But I want you to get it right from him. This is one of the most important verses in all the Bible. We'll start out, however, with uh, Matthew chapter 7, if you would. Uh, Matthew uh, chapter 7. 6, I'm sorry. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 31 He's describing, telling us not to worry about what we're to eat or drink or put on. Quit focusing your mind on all these physical things around you, he says. For after all these things the Gentiles seek, the pagans, that's all they know. For your Father knows you need these things. But here's the key, verse 33, Matthew 6. Did I say 7? Matthew 6, verse 33. But seek first. Go after God with your being. Seek Him. Jehoshaphat sought God. Daniel sought God. But seek first above everything else, way above everything else. Seek first the kingdom of God, the whole government of God, the laws of God, the way of God, and His righteousness. What is God's righteousness? It's His Holy Spirit filling us. And it says back in Psalm 119, Verse 172, all thy commandments are righteousness. Seek that whole way of life. God's commandments is magnified all the way through the Bible. That whole way of life. Seek, of course, Galatians 2 and verse 20 where Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ, yet I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Christ must live in you. Christ must literally live in me Christ lives in me Paul wrote and the life which I now live in the flesh I live with the faith not just in, but the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me Christ must live in you and you must more and more and I must more and more reflect Jesus Christ in everything we think and say and do walk with Christ talk with Christ let Christ be real he's your personal savior He's your personal high priest at God's right hand. You can go to God, the Father, in prayer, knowing Jesus is there. Jesus was tempted at all points like as you are. He understands. And go to God, go to Christ, and look to Christ as the living head of the church. He's to guide things. Have faith in that as long as you see the church is doing God's will, teaching the truth, doing the work, and trying to really prepare for God's kingdom. Have confidence. Christ is alive, and he's your coming king in the kingdom over this whole earth to set up a wonderful government to help, to bless, to encourage people so much when Christ's kingdom comes. Seek first that kingdom in every way you can and his righteousness and then all these things, these physical things people are interested in. They want to get a good wife or a nice house or a nice car or television or trips or whatever. God will give you enough of those things if you seek first God's kingdom. And most of all, he'll give you eternal life. And that had better start counting for something more than it does for perhaps some of you who have your mind on worldly things. Prepare for a spirit world, the spirit world beginning to intervene around you and realize there's spirit forces behind these things, spirit forces that are causing some of these terrible upsets in our society and causing pagan rulers in various nations to guide people off away from God and going to take over nations in the coming beast power. Now, one thing, brethren, that we often forget, we think about our personal salvation and it's all right to do that. and We should do that. But Mr. Armstrong said, and I have seen that in my life and I've been in the work, not in the ministry. I've been in the ministry almost 57 years, but I've been in the work of God as a student at Ambassador College by the time you hear this message, I will have been in the work of God, counting my student days, over 60 years. Over 60 years. And Mr. Armstrong said to the degree he noticed through all his ministry that to the degree that people put their hearts in the work of God, not just to please Mr. Armstrong or to please me or please Mr. Ames or Dr. McNeil or other leaders in this work, that's not the point. It's not going to basically change our way of life. But we need to have, frankly, many more people involved in helping and building and serving. And frankly, we need to have more millions of dollars, not just a few more. But God, you can't do it all. But pray that God will call thousands more to join with us, that we can have an impact on this confused world. This work needs to be greatly elevated to power. And sometime God is going to do that as we get close to the end. God will raise up rocks if we don't do it but we've got a powerful job to do. Notice what God warns us of, all of His people in His inspired Word, stuck right here, interestingly, in the book of Proverbs. I often use this in the in the offertory. I Introduced, most people, I never heard it used that way before, but I do. Proverbs chapter 24. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 10. I'll start with that. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. We're to walk with God and give our lives to God where we will not give up. We will not quit. We have Christ living in us. Then he says, deliver those who are drawn toward death. What should you do as Christians? Deliver those who are drawn toward death. Hold back those stumbling to the slaughter. Who's stumbling to the slaughter? Well, most of the people in the United States of British descended peoples of Britain and of Canada, Australia, New Zealand and South Africa. They're right now stumbling to the slaughter. We need to help them and understand and wake up, help these people out there. We love them. We don't hate them. We need to reach out to them, give our hearts and our whole beings in the work of God. If you say, surely we did not know this, well, most of you do know it. You know these prophecies. You know that the vast majority of the tribulation is going to be bringing down the peoples of the ten tribes and particularly the peoples of Joseph, the British descended and American peoples. If you say, say, we didn't know it, does not he who weighs the hearts consider it? Don't, doesn't God know that you know and you could do better? He who keeps your soul, does he not know it? And will not he render to each man according to his deeds or according to his works, as it is in the King James, to the degree you give your life to God, to the degree that you give your tithes and generous offerings and substance to God, your time, your talents, your zeal, your whole being to God. To that degree, He will bless you forever and ever and ever in the kingdom of God. We have a chance to help our people. The bridge is washed out down here a few more years, a few more yards. We were in a a car late at night and a blinding rainstorm. The bridge is washed out. We've got to jump out and say, stop, the bridge is washed out. We're near the end. Brethren, wake up, my friends and neighbors. We've got to do that with all of our being and have part, an active part, a zealous part in the very work that Jesus Christ is doing today to warn Israel with the Ezekiel warning described back in uh, Ezekiel chapter 33, verses 1 to 7. Warn our peoples and then warn them also about sin and about breaking God's law and about the need to give their lives to the true Jesus Christ, the real Jesus Christ of the Bible and have that Christ living His life in them. But, to do that, his life must be in you and in me, so we've got a job to do to help, and that is one way that God is watching our progress and deciding how much of reward we will have in the kingdom of God. Turn back now, if you would to your in your new testament to Colossians, turn back in your New Testament brethren to Colossians uh, chapter three, and Colossians three Verse 1, notice what the Apostle Paul was inspired by God Almighty to write. If then you were raised with Christ, if you come up out of the watery grave of baptism to give your life to God, seek, here it is again, you're to seek God, you're to seek the kingdom of God, the government of God, the various positions of service Christ and the Father are talking about, Christ and the Father preparing together up there in heaven right now. Seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Seek that. Seek your part in God's kingdom. Want to be a king or a priest? Want to help straighten out this world and get peace? Some of these people are shaking and crying. Some of the mothers all through Africa and parts of Asia and Central and South America and the Middle East are shaking and sobbing. They're about to starve to death. They see their little children starving to death right now. They may see their young girls along with themselves raped and and just butchered and humiliated by these roving bands of, of animals going around in the various parts of the world. Is that going to be the last memory they have before they die? Some of them it is, but some of them will come back weeping and repenting, saying, oh God, have mercy, help us, what is this world all about? And you and I can say, we love you. We want to help you. We want to serve you. We want to teach you the way of the God who gave you life and breath. Come out of your paganism. Come out of your confusion. This is the way. Walk you in it. Have opportunity. Seize this opportunity, my brethren. Seek those things which are above. You see, where Christ and the Father are planning our reward, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God, set your mind on what? on the next television show? (laughs) No. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died if you had given your life to God. You reckon yourself as dead. Be sure you did do that. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God when Christ who is our life. That's a beautiful statement, brethren. Let that be real in your case. I hope it's real in my case. And as I've gotten older and older and been tried and tested, it has become more real. And God grant that it may be uppermost in all our minds that we don't have a life. Our life is given to God through Jesus Christ, and we mean it. For he says, when Christ who is our life appears, he's going to appear powerfully, a spirit world taking over this world in a few years, then you also will appear with him in glory You will be given a spirit body. You will be given power and glory and immortality to help people in a way that you've never been able to do before. And you won't have the pulls and temptations of the flesh in the way that has come in the past. You'll be in the kingdom of God, the family of God, the family of God grown great. And you will have fulfilled the purpose for which God created you the purpose for which God blessed you, the purpose for which God has called you. Be sure you really want with all your heart and all your soul to fulfill that purpose, my brethren. So I hope all of you will seek God and seek those things that are coming in the spirit world that is to soon take over this earth and that you will walk with God and I pray that your that His kingdom may be real to you. You've heard all about it during this festival May his kingdom be much more real to you. And above all else, you and I must understand that Christ is alive, that he's active, and that we are ambassadors. You and I are not only sons of God, but we are ambassadors for Jesus Christ, his servants on this earth, to help prepare the way for our Savior, who is our Savior and our coming King to rule this earth. Let's do that. Let's go all out. If with all your heart and all your soul you seek God, you will surely find Him. Please do it with your heart. And brethren, go home with love and faith and courage. Pray for one another. Pray fervently for the work. Ask God to use us to honor Him. And be careful. If you drive, some of you will be driving home. Be careful. Get enough sleep. Take care of yourself. And when you get back home, use those tools A fervent, real study, not just careless reading, but study, set aside time, make time to study, to meditate, to pray, to fast, to walk with God, to let Christ live his life in you, that you may be there and fulfill the purpose for which God has called you now. Thank you, brethren, for your love and your help and your prayers. May God be with you.